So the people of Nazareth weren't all that taken with Jesus, were they? In Matthew and Mark's Gospels, they were scandalized by Jesus as soon as he started preaching to them. He was from Nazareth, and they didn't think the hometown kid could really make so good. Who was he preaching to them? But in Luke's Gospel, we get a very different picture of what happened. The people of Nazareth were awed and amazed by what Jesus had taught them and by the works he had performed at Capernaum. They note that Jesus was Joseph's son, and they seemed especially proud that a hometown kid was there proclaiming fulfillment of Isaiah's words of grace. This is fantastic, they thought. We've always been kind of a nothing little town. And now we've got one of our own who's already done great things and will do even greater things for us. He's one of us. So now we're going to be great. And then Jesus kind of let them down with what he said next. Yes, I'm from here. But my mission and God's grace is not just for you. Heck, it's not even primarily for you. Just like Elijah and Elisha, I'm going to bring God's grace to everyone, Jew and Gentile. And if that wasn't bad enough, he was basically telling the people that while it was the year of the Lord's favor, it wasn't necessarily going to be too terribly favorable for them. So the stories he told of Elijah and Elisha were about both of these prophets preaching and healing folks who weren't Israelites. They were folks who were Gentiles. And Elijah and Elisha were preaching and healing Gentiles because they had been rejected by Israel. Israel at the time was under the rule of some pretty bad kings. They were no longer faithful to God, so God was taking salvation elsewhere. Like Israel of old, Jesus was saying, y'all aren't really as faithful to God as you've led yourselves to believe. And the good news is going to reach the Gentiles with much greater effectiveness than it's going to reach y'all. Essentially, you've squandered God's grace, so it's moving on, Jesus was saying. So at that point, they got pretty upset at the hometown kid, telling them that the year of the Lord's favor had come and they were basically going to ignore and reject it, and that the year of the Lord's favor is going to be accepted by Gentiles rather than them. He was saying, y'all seem to want this all for yourself, for your own benefit only, and that's not the way God's kingdom works. Y'all are supposed to be introducing God to the nations, not despising them for not knowing God. The people of Nazareth had shut God up in a box, and God was springing out of it. God was already out there with the Gentiles, and Israel was supposed to be letting them know that. So Jesus was going to let the nations know that. And this didn't sit all that well with the people of Nazareth. We want you all for ourselves. We want to control the outcome of this new prophet, God is supposed to behave the way we want him to, the way our religion tells him that God tells us that God is supposed to. So they became angry enough to kill Jesus. And their anger may have stemmed from the fact that deep inside they knew he was right. When we're shamed, we often react with anger. And we're only shamed by something if we believe there's truth to it. The people of Nazareth Nazareth seemed to know the truth of Jesus' words, that they hadn't been living as a light to the nations. They hadn't been bringing good news to the poor and release to the captive. They haven't been bringing freedom to the oppressed and recovery of sight to the blind. 
even if that recovery of sight was through someone else's eyes holding the blind along with them. They hadn't been living the ways that Isaiah prophesied, and then they expected Jesus to be good news primarily, if not only, for them. Now, to be fair, that's not an uncommon trap that people fall into. When people experience grace and good news, we often want it only for ourselves. Even Jesus' first disciples fell into that trap. As Bishop Doyle points out in his book, A Generous Community, Peter and James and John wanted to build booths when they saw Jesus transfigured on the mountain. They wanted to keep control over that event, and then they could bring other people there. They could have control over that moment of grace. And remember when Jesus, when the the little children were trying to come to Jesus, and the disciples wanted to prevent them. They didn't want them coming near Jesus. They wanted to control access and keep their places of power and authority. But Jesus wasn't having it with them any more than he was having it with the people of Nazareth. Let the little children come to me, Jesus said, for it is to such as them that the kingdom of God belongs. Jesus and the kingdom of God were never meant to be kept as a prize for one's own benefit. Jesus and the kingdom of God were always meant to be given away. As former Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, famously said, the church is the only society that exists for the benefit of those who are not its members. Now, he didn't say only. The church doesn't only exist for the benefit of those who are not its members. The church exists for both its members and for those who are not its members. But do we sometimes find ourselves in the same trap of the disciples and the people of Nazareth? Do we sometimes find ourselves wanting Jesus primarily for ourselves, working first and foremost for us? If I'm honest with myself, the answer, at least for me, is sometimes yes. I'm guessing all of us have times when we primarily want Jesus for ourselves. And the thought of Jesus giving in the kingdom of God away doesn't seem right. Especially the thought of giving it away to people who seem undeserving in our eyes. Giving Jesus and his kingdom away also raises fears that there won't be enough for us. If we as a church do too much for those outside, will there still be enough Jesus left over for us? Well, the truth is, Jesus and his kingdom have no limits. There is always enough Jesus to go around. I asked last week, when was the good news or release from captivity happened? When has that happened to us? And then who was Jesus when that happened in our lives? Jesus has ministered to us in all kinds of ways through all kinds of people. And Jesus is out there too, ministering in all kinds of ways to all kinds of people and places. And he's using all kinds of people to do his ministry. And sometimes people know that it's Jesus ministering to them and through them. And sometimes they don't. Sometimes people believe in Jesus when he's ministering to them and through them. And sometimes they don't. We heard in Paul's letter to the Corinthians this morning. Faith, hope, and love abide these three, and the greatest of these is love. If I have faith enough so as to move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. 
Hearts of love are even more beautiful and important to God than hearts of faith. When did we see you naked and hungry and we clothed and fed you, Jesus? Whenever you did so to the least of these people, Jesus responded. Whenever your hearts were full of love and compassion for others. We are called as a church and as Jesus' disciples to be people of love. People who give our love to other people. If you listen to a lot of Christian media lately, or even politics lately, there seems to be a divide between people of faith and the bad people who don't believe. That may work in our polarized political society, but that is not what Jesus was about. Jesus loved people, whether Jew or Gentile. He brought faith to those who didn't have it. He brought hope to those who were without it. Jesus loved extravagantly. And our joy is that we too, as Jesus' disciples, get to love extravagantly. We get to bring hope with our love to people of faith and to people without faith. And we get to invite people to be here with us and we get to be out there where Jesus already is, sharing faith and hope and serving others as Jesus' disciples. In looking at the church, the church as we are and the church that we will become, Bishop Doyle writes, the God that we choose to follow is a God who is out and among the people. The God we follow bids us to make a church that is out and among the people. This God cannot be contained. God's mission cannot be contained. We must become a generation of church makers who play in the waters of baptism and the scriptures and around God's altar. This is sacred and holy play through which we enact inside and out church buildings and in our lives the great story of God's creation. We are to be about making the world into a different place with all the tools at our disposal. Most especially, we are to make it new with God's love, grace, forgiveness, and mercy. We are to share and open up our church and walk out into the sweet-smelling and lush garden of creation. We are to invite, welcome, and connect with others. We are to share the message that God says to all people, Come unto me, all you who travail and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. Don't keep the little children away. Don't keep away those who have tried to follow Jesus and believe they have failed. Don't keep from God those who have drifted away from church. Give God away. By all means, let them come. And let us go. And let us make church together. Amen. Amen.